Revelation 12:11 And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death. Welcome to by the word of their testimony and here is your host Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company and in the studio I have a very special guest from South Africa. Her name is Nicolene Fulmata. Now, is Fulmata the right way to pronounce your surname? That is, it's almost right, Fulmalter. So there's Fulmalter. two L's. <laughs> yes. Oh, there's two L's. That's correct. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I had that a little bit wrong, so thank you for the correction. Now, you. you have just arrived from South Africa. I think it happened last night. That's right. So you might still be a little bit jet lagged, but I'm grateful that you've made the time available to come and share your testimony and also the work that you do. Thank you. I'm very grateful to be here. Thank mm. you for the invitation. It's a pleasure. So tell us, what are you doing in Australia? I'm going to be visiting a few friends, and then we will uh, do a series of creation talks. Um, it's based on a book that I wrote a couple of years ago. And um, yes, I think it's going to be very interesting. Okay. Now, I'm actually holding this book in my hand, and it looks very, very interesting. It says, Creation by Design or Evolution from Nothing. That's right. So, uh how did you end up writing this book? What is your background? Well, it's not something that I really planned. Um, mm. Before that, I don't know if I should maybe just explain um, where I came from uh, church-wise. Okay. Um, I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church, which is probably comparable to the uh, Presbyterian Church. Okay. And um, for many years, we truly believed that we were walking According to God's will. Hmm. So you lived according to the light that, that yes. you had on, on, on truth and your relationship with the yes. Lord. Yes. So I grew up as a Christian. I I never doubted the existence of God at all, hmm. not in any way. Um, and then at one point, a friend of mine gave me a set of DVDs by Mark Woodman Okay. called God's Final Call. Hmm. And that series was filled with information that I've never, ever heard about. Wow. Nothing about the prophecies because we we were never taught about the prophecies. It was irrelevant to us. It mm. was it had nothing to do with us. And there the whole journey began. I was so in, incredibly skeptical about everything he said because I got the impression that he wants to get us out of church okay. because everything he said was contradictory to what I've known so far. Mm. And um, so there was a lot of skepticism involved. Sure. And um, I went back to our church and asked them, you know, do you know anything about this? And they, they looked very ignorant. And they said to me, why don't you go and investigate this on our behalf? And okay. I took that quite seriously. Mm. So I basically began and I typed out the whole series, the God, God's Final Call. I typed it out. Wow. Well, because that's just the way I can make sense of something. Okay. And um, I went and checked those links, and I, I 
check my own Bible because I was just convinced that he's reading from some other Bible. Mm. And every time we went back to the Word, I was stunned. It was a long journey, especially concerning the Sabbath. Mm. You know, we truly believed, truly believed that we were doing the right thing. Mm. And when you are so honest in in your worship of God and you get confronted with the real truth, yes. it's difficult to grasp. It, it's one thing when you do something wrong and you know that it's wrong, mm. you know, deep inside. But concerning this issue, we thought we were doing the right thing. Yes. So um, it was a long journey and uh, it didn't was happen Was it a scary overnight. journey as well? I mean, yes. all of a sudden, the whole foundation that you had for your faith and your beliefs and your worldview, basically, yes. wouldn't it be a little bit like the rug being pulled out from under your feet? Yes, it was completely the case. And mm. I do realize that without knowing it, I put our ministers on a pedestal my whole life, and I simply accepted what they said. Mm. And in the beginning, you want to blame your church, Um, and I did that for a while, but that's not really right. We we are all uh, able with God's Holy with the Holy Spirit to interpret what's written in the Bible Mm. if we are just willing to listen to that voice. That's right. Yes, and. Yes, so we we still stayed in our church for quite a while, and I tried so hard to reach our ministers. I had several appointments with them, explaining these things to them, showing them some of the video material. And when I eventually realized that things were not going to change, we had to make a decision because now we were sitting in our church with kind of a critical spirit, and I don't think that's right. Mm. So for quite a while, we were out of church but we started following um, biblical principles. Yes. We started keeping the Sabbath on our own, and I was oh, working. Just as a family. Yes. I did it first without telling anybody. Mm. I thought it was, you know, Mark Woodman, at the end of his DVD series, he, um, he explains, um, you know, tonight when the sun sets, why don't you just thank God for the Sabbath day? Mm. And he made it sound so simple. And can you believe I was watching that on a Friday? And I thought, all right, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to tell anybody. So as the sun was setting, I just went out to our backyard and it was a beautiful sunset. And I just thank God for the Sabbath day. Mm. And then what happened, because you get overwhelmed by this hunger to know more. I was working through Harold Metcalf's The Great Prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Okay. Because we were actually a whole group of people that... um, we worked through that series together, together every Friday night over about eight months. Mm. So were these people who were Sabbath keepers, some of the Adventist Sabbath no, keepers themselves? Or they no. just, but Christian believers. That's right. Mm. They're all our friends in our church from with us. From the Dutch Reformed Church. That's right. Mm. Um, from various uh, different uh, de- denominations. denominations. Yes. But all, all of us were confronted with the same truths. And in the end, everyone had to make their own decision. And unfortunately, um, you know, we we probably the only ones that that made the the change. Right. And um, yes, from there, it it I started translating uh, the great prophecies of Daniel and Revelation for them. And we never really got to that. It was I mm. never realized it was more for me uh, okay. that I was doing this. So you're translating from English into Afrikaans? Into Afrikaans, that's okay. right, just to make more sense of it for them. Mm. And, um, and as time went on, all of this just got fixed in my mind. 
Yes, and then I, I learned about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I, I never knew about them before. Right. But I realized when you mention the name, you get you always get a reaction hmm. from people. And uh, it's, I found it intriguing. I wanted to know more. Hmm. And we went and visited our, the first church in uh, Machalistich in Pretoria. Okay. And uh, we were overwhelmed by the friendliness. They greeted us by name. Um, that was very strange to us because we come from a denomination that is huge. We can seat about seven and a half thousand in our previous church. So mm. you, you're basically just a number. Yes. And um, not too long thereafter, our own church in Pretoria East opened up and um, we started going regularly. So I need to rewind a little bit back. Uh, shortly after, I discovered the truths about the Sabbath and, and God's word. Um, my children were getting bigger, and I started noticing that, you know, they're learning a whole lot about evolution and long ages in school now, mm. which I didn't notice before. Um, and in my field of study, I was also exposed to it. Yes. Uh, years before, I, I believed in an old earth mm. because I was only exposed to millions of years, the concept okay. of millions of years. And the first time I got... Uh, other information in that regard was when watching uh, Ken Hovind's, um his whole series. Um, I, I can't remember the name of the series, but that's the first time I learned of a young earth. And I remember okay. being quite resistant about it, you know, because mm. we spent many years learning about the geologic column and all the ages associated. And you need to study hard. Yes. And you get to a point where you think you know something. And then again, you know, the rug gets pulled out from under you and you mm. realize it's just not true. So at this point with my children, I was concerned that they are now just learning one side of the story. And I started looking around for material to help them. And there was nothing really in Afrikaans that would be helpful. Mm. So at one point, um, I was just by myself and not really giving creation a thought. And it just jumped into my head, write a book mm. on creation for children. And initially, I understood it to be young children. But at that, that very moment, the excitement just overwhelmed me. And I thought, now, where, where, did, this, <laughs> where did this come from? Yeah. Your heart's beating at double time, and you're all excited. And I had this clear vision of what I wanted to do. And I thought, no, could, could that have been God speaking to me? Immediately doubting and thinking, oh, no, it's just your own thoughts. Mm. And the very next clear thought is test it. Find out the very next day whether anybody else was busy with this that I now had in my mind. Yes. But I was so excited, I struggled to fall asleep. And by the next morning, all the excitement turned into complete fear. Wow. Because now this, this big plan was in front of me and I thought, mm. no, there's no ways I can do this. Yes. So I started phoning around, spoke to various people, and uh, unfortunately, at that stage, I thought no one was busy with this. And I started the very day, that, that day, that's when I started with the book. I never really thought anyone was going to read it. Hmm. I mainly did it for myself to make sense for me. Sure. Now, maybe we could just step back just a little bit here, because obviously there's some academic 
discipline that complements what you're doing here. What is your what is your background as far as your education is concerned? Right. I'm currently an external lecturer with UNISA, that is the University of South Africa. Hmm. And our field is in the applied natural sciences, specifically nature conservation. Okay. So what we do is uh, we, we teach uh, students on felt management, which forms the basis of all the management of nature reserves. Right. So um, that, that's, that's mainly what I do. And the field itself has got quite a wide basis. Mm. And funny enough, as you study further along, I later completed my master's degree, um, you start to specialize and specialize. But concerning the book, it was actually the diploma with that broad base that was the most helpful. Ah, okay. And I never realized that before. Mm. Um, Yes, so that's basically what I do at the moment. Right. Okay. So you're an academic in 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 the real sense of the word. That's why perhaps yes. people said, "Well, why don't you go and research us and tell us about um, these videos that you're watching, and then report back to us?" So yes. people <laughs> had an expectation that if you t- tackle it, you will do a thorough job academically, yes. and then be able to present back. Okay. Well, that makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so you 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 get this notion, this idea, this concept in your mind that God wants you to create a book. In which language? In Afrikaans? In Afrikaans. For kids about creation and initially say it was for what you thought very young children. Yes. And so that the book morphed, did it become uh, geared towards older children or what happened? I had quite a few proofreaders involved and the input they gave me, especially when it came to genetics and natural Mm. selection and mutations, made me realize that we're going to have to focus on high school children and adults because I think our high school children know more about evolution than their parents because Mm. not all of their parents were exposed to evolution and and. Uh, long ages, yes, like the children are today. That's right. So that's when I decided to make the age group from twelve to hundred and twelve. Okay. Now we say, I hope there's not someone hundred and thirteen. <laughs> they welcome to read it as <laughs> but well. They're included, yes. <laughs> but um, that that's what I what I then focused mm. on, just to make. Uh, you know, concepts that are usually scary to people without a scientific background, to make that more understandable to the man on the street. Yeah. There's no point in, in discussing something like uniformitarianism and, and they have got no idea what you're talking about. So just breaking down those concepts mm. and making it understandable. Putting in lay people's yes. language. And yes. I didn't want to write the book in a high academic sort of, uh, how should I say, I use plain language yes. um, to make it less scary or intimidating mm, mm. and the feedback we've received so far is very good um, but there's definitely a uh, a need for the younger children as well so absolutely yeah we, it's absolutely essential because they are being indoctrinated you know it's, it's yes. the it's the counterfeit to the gospel right. and the fact that god by his word could speak things into existence and yes. he could use no existing materials to create things out of nothing Correct. And God has that creative ability in his word. Exactly. But science cannot explain that. No, they cannot. Yeah, if it's observable, then they might be able to explain it. But this requires faith. We, we know that right. it is because God says so. Yes. And it's impossible for God to lie because of that creativity within his word and in his power. That's a very important point, mm. is that uh, people often think of this as a, a struggle or a war between Religion mm. and science, yes. but we need to understand that there's different types of sciences. Mm. The science that we are now talking about, uh, what I do, we go out into what we call the felt, and we 
assemble our information, we gather data, mm. and we write down our methods. And those methods need to be repeatable by okay. another scientist to obtain more or less the same result, hence the experimental process. Okay. But when we get to creation, evolution, uh, archaeology, geology, then we are not talking about experimental science as such. We are talking about the science of history mm. or the science of origins, historical science. So it's not science. observable. It's not, and it's not repeatable. Mm. So you need to make deductions of what you believed happened in the past, and no one can go back and test whether these things really happened. You merely need to choose whether you want to believe it sure. or not. So yeah. both, both evolution and creation deals with mm. re with faith. Because even the written record only goes so far back. So if someone's right. done an experiment, observed something, say a few hundred years ago, you can go and read what their observation was. That's correct. But when it comes to the origin of man, when it comes to evolution, no one was around. And if you believe that the, you know, the earth and the universe is billions of years old, yes. how do you actually scientifically demonstrate that or prove that you can't. That's right. Hmm. No one can prove that. Even if, they, if they're talking about radiometric dating methods, these hmm. are all based on assumptions. Okay. So they, they base it on assumptions to make yet another huge assumption. assumption. So it's an hypothesis that yes. then uh, shapes another hypothesis. Exactly. Yes. So while you're busy, that's why we don't even talk about the theory of evolution. We talk about the hypothesis of evolution because there's no data relating the, the, to this process that can be tested, observed, or repeated. T-O-R. Tested, observed, or repeated. Mm. And then we know we're busy with the science of origins. Okay. So is it you're putting one belief against another, basically? Is Absolutely. That what it comes down to? Uh, Dr. But Jonathan, they call it science. They do. They mm. do. It's, it's basically two worldviews, and okay. your worldview, whether it is based on the Bible or on secular science, will determine how you interpret the evidence because mm. the facts don't speak for themselves. Yes. Facts are dependent on your worldview, and your worldview is like a pair of, of colored sunglasses okay. or colored glasses. Mm. So if you've got a white piece of paper in front of us and I've got some blue lenses on and you've got red lenses on, we're not going to see it the same way. True. It's going to be affected by the color of those lenses. Mm. And so nobody really, there's nothing like as an unbiased scientist. We are all biased. We all bring our own bias and worldview into Absolutely. how we interpret things. Definitely. Okay. So Dr. Jonathan Safadi, is, uh, his quote, he says that it's not a question of who's being biased, but which bias is the correct bias with which to be biased. Biased with, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So we need to be very clear about that. It's, mm. it's, it's not science versus religion. It's a science of one scientific view, biblical theism, versus the science of another religious view, um, uh, and that is evolution and yeah. long ages. And there seems to be such a strong antagonism by people who hold the evolution worldview against people who believe in creation as of that somehow in theory and it's a weak world, uneducated people that will believe that mm. because theirs is based on science. But what Correct. you're saying is it is based only on a, on a speculation, an hypothesis, which is then based on another hypothesis. That is correct. Mm. Even the dating of Earth's rocks was yes. not, or shall I say, the dating of the Earth mm. was not done using Earth rocks. It was done by using meteorites, which they believed came from the parent asteroid right in the beginning. Right. So they didn't even use earth rocks. So again, like I say, it's they're starting with an hypothesis to mm. make another huge assumption. Yes. 
Is this the thing where they use like carbon-14 dating and that sort of thing? You it's carbon-14 dating cannot be used to date rocks because okay. rocks are not organic. Okay. Uh, carbon-14 dating can only work on something which contained carbon, something that used to be alive, like plants, animals, okay. certain types of uh, material, that mm. sort of thing. So mm. we're going to be talking in our, in our series that we're presenting about carbon-14 dating, but they, they use isotope dating for the age Isotope of, dating. That's right. We'll okay. talk about the assumptions behind that as well in our series, and it's very important to understand those mm. assumptions. Um, I know that that's a bit of a, a challenging subject for most people. It was for me as well. But if you only realize the, that it's if, – if their assumptions is not taken into consideration, then their, their methods simply cannot work. Mm. So um, that is probably the most unbiased way of doing science sure. just by starting with those assumptions. Okay. Fantastic. So you're going to be traveling around – Parts of Australia and New Zealand, because our broadcast goes to New Zealand as well. We have a few radio stations there mm-hmm. um, sharing this information. That's right. So um, ports of call, have you got just a, a list of some of the places you'll be visiting that we can perhaps share with our yes. listening audience out there? And we make sure we get this program out. We'll prioritize it to broadcast it very shortly. Well, I see on this weekend okay. we will be at War Hope Church in uh that's New South Wales, am I right? I'm that's right. That's New South Wales. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's about uh, three, roughly three hours, three and a half hours travel from where we are. Right. Yeah. So we will be there on Friday night. So I'll talk about the different sciences, we'll okay. touch on the Big Bang and irreducible complexity. And then on Saturday, we'll have quite a full program. It's going to be, we'll talk about mutations and natural selection and the biblical created kind. Mm. We need to understand that so that we can understand the logistics of the ark, which is the third lecture. Right. How on earth did everything fit onto the ark? How do we make sense of all the variety that we mm, see? Of animals that we yes. see, yes. And that's all going to make Yeah, that they have all those sense. species of dogs that we find nowadays exactly. you know, on the ark. Yeah. Yes, and very important <laughs> that's, that the biblical created kind was not on the species level of, of taxonomic classification. Mm. It was probably on the family level, okay. which means that you're going to have a lot less animals on the ark than right, okay. on the species but level. But the animal would have had the genetic information that we yes. see now in all the variety of animals. Absolutely. Okay. And secular scientists have uh, quite recently published their results to, to show us that all the different dogs and foxes and coyotes and jackal are all uh, descendants of one original wolf kind. Mm. So we've already we've, we don't have to doubt that. Okay, great. And then the third lecture, we'll talk about the age of the Earth and look at some interesting uh, uh, evidence for mm. a young Earth. And then lastly, we'll talk about dinosaurs. So that's a bit of a short talk that okay. we're doing in uh, War Hope. Then we will be back. Uh, we will fly to. Uh, oh, I see. We we're speaking on the eighth of April on Sunday at Jara. Is that Jara? Jara Valley. Uh, spelled with a Y or a J? A Y. Okay, Yarra. <laughs> Yarra, Yarra, sorry. That must be at Melbourne, where somewhere, Warburton? That's correct, Warburton, yes. Warburton, Melbourne, yes. Okay, And that's great. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It's not going to be a long tour. I think we're there for about three hours. Okay. And then the very next weekend, we'll be at the Basin Romanian SDA Church. Um, am I right? That's also in Melbourne. That's right, yes. Right, and then we're flying back to Sydney. We will be at Warunga uh, Church on the 20th and 21st of April. So the 20th and 21st of April. Well, this That's would correct. have gone to air then already. So, dear listener, if you want to get uh, some of this information and you haven't been able to write it down, what you can do is you can contact us 
or you can go to our Facebook page and you will be able to find that information on our Facebook page as well. That's right. And then the last week I'll be in New Zealand. Okay. From the which, which city are you going to in New Zealand? Christchurch. Christchurch okay, in the South right. Island. Great. And I see it's the Ilam 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 right okay, Ilam Church yes Ilam SDA Church and we'll do quite a full program. It's going to be a lecture every night starting mm. on the Monday right through until the Sabbath. Okay, so every night there will be a presentation, That's and then on right. Sabbath there will be a few presentations. That's right, and we're adding to that one uh, human evolution, which is not covered in the previous one. So the the logistics are a little bit differently in the talks that I'll be doing. Sure, there. That's okay. right. Okay. okay, fantastic. Well, that sounds really exciting. I might have to talk to my wife and see what, what our plans are for this weekend. We, we might have to go for a three-and-a-half-hour drive north and, 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 so. come and come and listen. Okay, excellent. Now, um, your book, you've, I've got this book in front of me. It's very colorful. I, I like the pictures in there. And you're saying this is written for someone like myself who's not a scientist Right. To read through and I'll be able to understand what I'm reading. Uh, yes, I, I I definitely think so. There's always something. Some things are a little bit more challenging. Of course. Which I've included for the for the for the person that are interested in 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 more detail. But okay. you know, in the end, I think that every person will take from that what is what is necessary for them to understand. Hmm. And, um, all and it the looks like something you can use as a reference book. You can come yes. back to it again and again. And, of course, the, the, the first time you don't understand, you, the second time or third time you look at it, you'll understand That's more. That's right. And I, I think yeah. the the because it's so colorful with, and it's illustrated, you know, that is really what's going to draw people's attention. Um, it just makes it easier to understand. Yes. Now, I like the pictures. There's diagrams. There's uh, photos and uh, explanations of things. And I like that. Even the, the layers... You know, uh, the sedimentary strata, sedimentary strata yes. and all that. Yeah, so, okay, fascinating. And you've got some photos just uh, demonstrating that as well. That's right. Great. So I'm, I'm fascinated. You, you start studying uh, all this information. I think just before we got a little bit distracted, um, not that it's a distraction, but uh, you were talking about how you're, uh, you started researching uh, for this. Uh, what happened next? Maybe you can fill out a story for us. From where we left off last, the research for the book yes, itself. Yes, um, yes, that was that was quite a long road. Um, I think I started off with one idea, and halfway I decided, no, I've got to change this completely. Mm. I wanted to make it extremely simple, but you know, it's such a fascinating field that it just grew and grew and grew. Yes, um, so it was a, a work in process. I was, you know, I know not, knew nothing about writing a book. Mm. It's very different to doing a, a dissertation. Okay. And to make difficult concepts easily understandable without being cheesy mm. is, is also quite challenging. Sure. But it was a long road because the, the people doing the, the proofreading, they're all working full time. Um, so when I got their feedback, I would make the changes, send it out again and wait for their feedback. So it was a, it was a bit of a frustrating road. Mm. And in the end, when the document was done, I, I was wondering, what do you do to make this look less like a Word document? How do I get this into a format of a book? So yes. I didn't even know about layout. Okay. I learned a lot of things along the way, and it's, a, it's amazing how God just provided people all along. Mm. The man that did the, uh, the, the artwork, which is some of the drawings in the book, uh, Tina's De Brain, um, he did fantastic work. I would just send him a, a, 
a paragraph and he would draw, draw something that I didn't even I couldn't even imagine that in my wildest imagination. Really? So, and the lady also that did the the layouts, she read through everything and just adapted what she did according to the text. So um, I was always stunned to see, you know, how amazing this thing was taking shape. Yeah. So and the whole project, how long did it take from the time that you started with it till the time you completed it and we now have it in the book form? Well, I, it took about three years because okay. right in the end I decided to just translate it myself into English. Mm. That was a few months before I published. So uh, I didn't plan that in the beginning, but I'm very glad I did. And so it's available in two languages. It's available in two languages. Um, yeah, so it's about three years, but, you know, the work doesn't stop there. After yes. that, we, we had to start preparing for presentations and, and various talks. And um, I was challenged the other day to work out just an average of the hours that I've spent doing mm. these things. And we came, I came to about 17,000 hours. 17,000 hours. <laughs> That's right. Well, you will be well and truly a, um, an expert in your field because I reckon any expert, to become an expert in any field, you need to spend about 10,000 hours. Oh, I would. I, I'm always very, very scared to call myself an expert sure. in anything. <laughs> well, I'm labeling you that and I appreciate your humility in the whole, in the whole thing. Thank you. That's very kind. It's a work. It's, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll see myself as a student until the day I die. Well, that's the wonderful thing and, about uh, science and also even with the yes. gospel, you know, and the salvation, you can yes. you'll always be a student. The more you learn, the the more you realize how little mm. you know. Okay. Dear listener, you are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and in the studio I have a special guest, Nicolene Fulmalter, who is sharing her testimony with us and then also her work in regards to science and creation. She's written this wonderful book called Creation by God, and she's now touring through Australia and will end up in New Zealand as well to share a number of lectures about understanding this wonderful planet that we live on and how God created it and then looking at the two worldviews, how people look at uh, the world through the lens of creation and how they look at the world through the lenses of evolution. And then you'll be able to make up your mind based on the evidence and based on true science. So uh, we're just going to share a short message with you and we'll be right back after these messages. Stay tuned. I'm looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13 When Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. John 18.37 In the last great conflict when the world aligns itself against Christ, they will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Revelation 17:14. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. On his robe and on his thigh a name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19:11-16. Here comes the conquering Christ coming to claim his kingdom and the people of his kingdom. Dear listener, welcome back. You are listening to By the Word of Their Testimony, and my special guest in the studio is Nicolene Fulmalter, who has written a book called Creation by God. Now, perhaps you just have to give us your pedigree again. You lecture in the sciences, but it's got to do with conservation and a few other things. Maybe just unpack that for us just very briefly again, because you'll be able to do it much better than I can. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, lecturer in uh, applied natural sciences. 
the the basis of all nature reserves is based on vegetation management and okay. vegetation plans. So we do quantitative studies on densities and frequencies, etc., of your important grasses and how that affects your carrying capacity and stocking rate. So what we do forms the basis of of reserve management. Right. Okay. And I guess people who uh, have farms can they benefit from your work as well? Yes, they're supposed to 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 use those principles. Okay, they're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> but they they often use ecologists who are more qualified to identify their various grass species to do so. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to your lectures, and uh, you've given me an appetite for it. I have to talk to my wife to see if we can come and listen to you this weekend, <laughs> although we've got to travel about three and a half hours to do it. I think it'll be worthwhile. <laughs> now, you mentioned before in the first half of the program uh, this concept called irreducible complexity. Now, what is that exactly? All right, irreducible complexity. Let me start uh, by telling you about Sir Fred Hoyle. Hmm. He was one of England's most well-known astronomers. And in the second half of the 20th century, uh, he spent a lot of time uh, researching, you know, where did everything come from? He was not a Christian and he was not a creationist. Now, in his 1950s BBC radio series uh, called The Nature of the Universe, he mockingly referred to the idea of an ancient explosion as a Big Bang. Mm. So he mockingly referred to it. Um, and he described it as preposterous. Right. But this term became acceptable to this very day in spite of so the... So that's the origins of the yes, term. Despite of the discrimination he later had to endure for mm. his anti-evolutionary and anti-Big Bang point of view. Mm. Now, he pointed out the impossibility of a Big Bang and evolution. And in his book, Evolution from Space, he described it as nonsense of the highest order. Okay. And explained how the random emergence of a simple cell was just as unlikely as a tornado sweeping through a junkyard mm. and by chance assem- assembling a Boeing 747 oh, from the materials right. okay. <laughs> it contained. So he concluded that the fine tuning of the universe pointed to a designer. Mm. But um, sadly, even though he was able to see through all of this uh, popular anti-God science, yes. he was unable to waver his unbiblical view. He believed in panspermia, wherein he and his colleagues suggested that the universe had no beginning and no ending, okay. but it required ongoing episodes of creation right. by some intelligent being within the universe. Mm. Completely denying a personal creation by, or creation by a right. supernatural creation by a personal okay. God. So he didn't have a – people might say, oh, he was against it because he had a biblical bias. But he didn't have a biblical no, bias. No, it was completely all. from a scientific, yes. scientific point of view, which makes mm. it very interesting. Yes, it does. Now, the whole idea of living organisms spontaneously arising from non-living matter is not only – Impossible. It is contradictory to scientific law, okay. which I'll also be talking about in, in my series. And mm. furthermore, that cell is immensely complex. Every cell is very, very complex. In fact, the, the composition and the functioning of a single cell is more complex than a fully functioning city where everything happens in very fine detail. Now, keep wow. in mind how many people is necessary to build that city. Yes. So then we're talking now about the flow of traffic. You're talking about sewer systems. You're talking about fresh water being supplied, That's right. electricity, gas. You know our energy needs. 
um, so forth. The whole the whole system is saying that a single cell is more complex than, than a that. fully functioning city. Wow. Now, not even the most advanced computer, nor the cleverest scientist in the world, is able to produce or make even a single cell. Nobody can. Mm. Now we have to ask the evolutionary supporters, where did the first cell come from? Yes. And who made that cell? Mm. And where did life come from? Those are the questions we are interested in. Now, in spite of the law, the, the fact that we have something we, that we call the law of cause and effect, which I'll be talking about, which teaches that um, nothing cannot produce anything. Nothing, yeah. something that didn't exist before, yes. cannot produce anything. It doesn't work in the scientific model or even the evolutionary model. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's an established law. Nor can something get organized by itself, according to the second law of thermodynamics. Mm. Nor can life uh, come from non-life, based on the law of biogenesis. Okay. So there's a few laws there that there's are actually quite a contradicted. Few. Yeah. Quite a few, which we'll explain in more detail. Mm. But people still believe that we came from some primordial pond scum. Yes. Which came from nothing. Yeah. In other words, all the small complex structures and contents within the cell have to come together all at once with mm. a cell wall around it, and voila, there we have a cell. Okay. Now, I explain. Let's say you have a test tube with all the right conditions for a living cell to be able to survive. Mm. And you place one living cell within that test tube, and you poke a hole in it so that the content leaks out. Yes. All the content is still there within that small little test tube, but still you cannot produce a living cell. You cannot mm. put Humpty Dumpty together again. Okay. So, which is why scientists admit in secular journals, nobody knows how a mixture of lifeless chemicals spontaneously organized themselves into the first living cell. And this is in the New Scientist magazine, which is a secular a secular yes, magazine. Yeah. So Harold Morowitz, he's a microbiologist, calculated the odds of a cell randomly assembling under the most favorable conditions to be one chance in 10 to the power of 100 billion. Now, this oh, is just to bring... Zeros. Yes, this is just to bring the material together. Yeah. It's still not uh, alive. It does mm, not mm. contain any information, any intelligence. Mm. Every cell in the body must know what to do and how to do it. And, you know, Dr. Subot Pandit, I don't know if I pronounced that correct. Is that Subot Pandit? Uh, it sounds right to me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he says it was an intelligently supervised event. It was not a random event because randomness cannot compete with intelligence. Mm. Professor Andrew Knoll from Harvard University freely admits we don't really know how life originated on this planet. Right. Now, when you look at something as complex as the engine of a car or mm. the functioning of a city, but the, the, the engine of a car, then you know that somebody designed that engine. Absolutely, yeah. And the designer is more intelligent than the engine. Mm. So where there's design, there has to be a designer. Now, Charles Darwin said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed, which could not possibly have been derived by numerous successive slight modifications, mm. my theory would absolutely break down. Are we talking about irreducible complexity? Okay. Do you think the concept of a mousetrap could result in a breakdown of Darwin's theory? 
Well, a mousetrap is simple enough that people will probably be familiar with it and be yes. able to relate to. It okay, seems so we can very it's complex. It's, it, the, the whole idea is that it, it seems simple. Yeah. And it really is, but it consists of five pieces, a wooden platform, a hammer, a spring, a holding bar, and a trigger. Now, okay, this little yes. trap is a brilliant example of irreducible complexity. Okay. A, a single system where all the well-matched and interacting parts contribute to the basic function. You have to have Michael Behe actually explains how if, if any part of the system is removed, mm. then the mousetrap cannot function as a mousetrap. Okay. You have to have all the parts there. At the same time, mm. in the correct placement, the correct configuration for it to function successfully. Now, it obviously would take some stretch of imagination to believe that a mousetrap evolved piece by piece. Yes. And since it can only accomplish its purpose with all five pieces together, mm. it is irreducibly complex. Now we get to the cell. And this is the very interesting part. I want to read this quote to you. It's by a Nobel laureate in medicine called mm. Jacques Monod regarding DNA. But the major problem is the origin of the genetic code and of its translation mechanism. The code is meaningless unless translated. The mm. modern cell's translating machinery consists of at least 50 macromolecular components which are themselves coded in DNA. Mm. The code cannot be translated otherwise than by products of translation. When and how did the circle become closed? It is exceedingly difficult to imagine. In other words, the instructions for making proteins are encoded in the DNA, and they can't be decoded unless you've already made some proteins using those machines to make the proteins. It's like having a CD with instructions on the CD mm. telling you how to make the CD. Right, okay. So how do you make the CD? Yeah. DNA could not have come about by random processes since it is irreducibly complex. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. So all those components had to be there exactly at the same time. They couldn't involve, and you can take this little bit here piece later, and some years down the track you get another piece together. Correct. It, it just won't work. So irreducible complexity is a marvelous uh, uh, support and evidence for creation by a supernatural creator. Right. Okay. Thank you for unpacking that. I think I'm getting a, a sense of what irreducible complexity is, is actually all about. But look, what is evolution actually? If you had to explain that, what is it? Yes, because there's there's various different um, definitions. I'm not going to go jump into to too many definitions. I'm going to yeah. keep it as simple as possible. But the yeah. general theory of evolution postulates that basically less complex creatures became more complex, meaning that genetically less complex creatures had to become genetically more complex. And that by okay. definition means that we have to have genetic information added. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So that information would have to come from somewhere. It has to come from somewhere. Yes. Now, the two methods that they propose is, uh, gen is mutations and natural selection. Okay. But the most important fact is that none of these two mechanisms can ever add information. It actually reduces information. 
So it's actually the opposite of what uh, it's the they opposite. suggest. Mutations so are basically copying mistakes. That's what they are. Okay. It's corruption of existing information. And although we can have more variety, mm. we can never have uh, more functional genetic information by these processes. And natural selection is basically a culling mechanism whereby information is reduced. Okay. Certain uh, organisms adapt to their specific environments and they lose what they don't need. So there's once again a reduction in functional genetic information. Mm. So both of the mechanisms does exactly the opposite. Now, that as well, I will explain it in more detail in our presentations and I'm yes. sure it will make more sense to people. Um, but it's it's just an important point to you know the mechanisms does exactly the opposite. Mm. We so should not we should not sorry we should not confuse um, uh, adaptation by natural selection. We should not confuse that with ev with evolution. Okay. Obviously, there's change. Mm. There's lots of changes that takes place within organisms and mutations and natural selections are, the, are just two of the mechanisms which contribute to that. But this can never cause one kind of organism to change into another kind of organisms, like the fish kind changing into a reptile kind or a mammal kind changing into a, a, a reptile kind. We can never have a change of kinds. We have changes within kinds, various mm. kinds of fish, various kinds of reptiles, various kinds of birds, but the different kinds remain the same kind. Mm. And I think in Genesis it says that God created you know, the animals and so forth, according, each according to their own kind. Exactly. And there's yeah. a genetic barrier set up that cannot be crossed. Mm. Wow. Okay, that's very interesting. So, uh, an example of natural selection. If you can, if we, is there a simple example that we can relate yes, to? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, if we have a look at, um, okay, let's have a look at a specific example. This is the Arctic wolf. It lives in very cold conditions beyond the Arctic Circle. Mm. They have thick coats. Uh, thick long coats, small ears and short legs, obviously to prevent them from losing too much body heat. Yes. The cold climate caused the dogs with short coats, long legs and big ears mm. to die out because obviously they would lose too much body heat. Yes, they wouldn't be able to survive. Yes, so mm. these dogs had the correct genes in their genetic toolbox to adapt to this specific climate giving them a survival advantage over dogs without these characteristics in that specific climate. So if you had long hair and short hair dogs in the Arctic Circle, it makes sense that the long hair dogs would flourish where the short yes. hair dogs would die out because they would simply freeze to death. Correctly. That's and that's where you would lose genetic information. Definitely. And you'll only retain the long hair genes then with those dogs that have that because absolutely. that's the only dogs that end up surviving. Absolutely. Is that an example that's of... That's exactly right. And, okay. you know, because with those dogs dying out with the short coats, along with them, a whole range of genetic variety hmm. Has now been lost. Yes. So on our lovely warm continents, Australia and South Africa, the wild dog mm. um, has big ears, huge ears, a mm. short coat and long legs. Mm. And obviously they would never have survived in the freezing poles. They would they would have frozen while the Arctic wolf would have fried in in our in, country. In the heart, yes, that's climate, right. Yeah. So that's adaptation because of natural selection. Uh, okay. But there's never a change of kinds. It never changed into another animal. We've just got a different variety of the same kind. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, it does. So when we look at um, all the variety of animals we have, let's we're talking about dogs. Let's talk about dogs. 
How did they all fit in on the ark if we believe in the global flood? <laughs> yes, that's a, a very interesting question. And um, I always wonder if I should give it all away yeah. um, or whether we should explain it step by step in the lectures. But what was the original created kind? Was mm. it on the species level of today's taxonomic classification or was it maybe on another level? Yes. It definitely had to have been on another level because we we can do various crossbreedings today of, of, of quite a few animals. Uh, we can cross a donkey and a, a zebra and we mm. get a zonkey. Okay, I've seen a zonkey. Yes. Yeah. And obviously the liger is the cross between the male and uh, lion and, and the female tiger. Okay. So that's a liger. Mm. And that basically shows us as soon as we've got crossbreeding, we know that they must originate from the same original kind mm. because only the same kinds can can crossbreed. Yes. Now today we we do have isolation because of uh, behavioral or regional differences, but strictly speaking this crossbreeding is still possible. The reason why they don't crossbreed is because of genetic and behavioral differences. Right. But biologically, physically speaking, it's still possible, mm. which shows us that all the lions and the cheetahs and domestic cats, etc., all the cat kinds, mm. originate from one original created kind. Okay. And that is what was on the ark. Mm. Not all the species and variation that we know of today. Right, Same but all with the, the genetic elephants. information would have been yes. in that particular animal. We yeah. can actually compare it with a genetic toolbox that is filled to the brim with a solution to various environmental uh, challenges mm. in future. And from this pool, we are able to see all of the variety okay. that we have today. And obviously, the more the environment uh, 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 varies, the more the adaptations and variations will be. So natural selection cannot create, it can only eliminate. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes, okay. So which comes back to what you said before, in the way it eliminates, it actually loses genetic information given yes. the environment. Yes. Like we were talking about the long hair and the short hair dogs. In the cold climates, you're only going to have the survival of the long hair dog, so therefore the short hair genetic information is lost. Yes. So if we can mm. summarize natural selection, it is the survival of an animal that is the best adapted to a specific environment through natural selection of already existent genetic information. Okay. So that's survival of the fittest, basically. Survival of the fittest. So it did not produce anything more. Mm. They just selected from what there is, and the animals that didn't have those traits died out. Right. And together with them, their genetic toolbox. Mm. Okay, that's interesting. You know, and I think there's a huge need out there nowadays, especially with the attack on creation by evolution, claiming to be a science. And we consider it, you know, as you were saying before, we consider it a science that can be used the way we use observable science. Yes. But it's not. It's hypothesis based on hypothesis. Yes. And really, it's just a lens of looking at the world. Yes. And having a particular bias, but really it's not science in the true sense of the word. No, not at all. And and my objective is that, especially our children, they should be awarded the opportunity to also investigate the other side of mm. the story. Because but they don't get that at school. No. no. We want to raise critical thinkers, but you are not able to be a critical thinker if you're not allowed or uh, produce the opportunity to investigate the other side and then mm. draw your conclusions. You cannot do it based on only one side. Yeah. And more importantly, if we cannot believe Genesis 1 by, verse 1, as it is written, mm. why should we believe the rest? Yes. So if we start doubting there, 
what is the point of, of reading further? Mm, that's, that is so true. Now, I look at the front of your book cover. It's a beautiful, colorful picture, and it's got uh, hands. I imagine that's the hands of the creator. Yes. And then you have a family in the background. You have some birds in the air. You've got a beautiful tree and the scenery and water, and then you've got an elephant and a looks like a cheetah. <laughs> it must be a cheetah. It's my favorite animal. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, at the front of the book there, it also quotes from Psalm 33, which is one of my favorite psalms. Oh. And it quotes from verse 6 and verse 9. It says, And by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, so by his word, his spoken word, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So we believe that God has the ability to create and to design. And as you mentioned before, we see intelligent design in everything that we look at. God spoke complete systems into existence all at once. Mm. Otherwise, they could not have functioned. Yeah, well, and if we look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, it says that that Christ still upholds all things by the power of his word, his powerful word. That's right, which ties in. Beautifully with the first law of thermodynamics, mm. which which teaches that God upholds his system. It's not changing into anything new. All changes, whether it's by man or by forces of nature, are simply a rearrangement of that which already exists. Mm. The power of his word that upholds everything. Yeah. And of it's course, we changing. have we have this uh, alien concept for us. It's not alien because we are brought up with the concept of sin entering the world and because of sin, death. Yes. That's right. And therefore, you have this natural decay. You know, we live three score and ten. If we're a little bit stronger, maybe 70, 80, yes. 90, maybe 100 years. Yes. Because we do include those up to 112 in yeah. this program. <laughs> we do. <laughs> but um, I think this is the second law of thermodynamics. Now, help me. I'm only a lay person. But it says the natural state of everything is atrophy or equilibrium. Which yes. means that the natural state of everything then goes back to chaos. Yes, that is absolutely right. We mm. we have increased entropy, which means everything tends towards decay and 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 breaking down, as you rightly say. Yes. And if you think about it, evolution requires exactly the opposite of less complex becoming more complex and better and better and better all by itself. Mm. So. That it's it's a complete contradiction. The most important thing about uh, uh, the second laws also teaches that the universe had a beginning because the universe is running down. Yes. And it cannot have been running down forever. Otherwise, it would have already run down. Mm. Now, everything that has a beginning needs a cause. Remember, we spoke about the law of cause and effect? Yes. Um, so if the universe had a beginning, it had to have had a cause. Someone okay. must have made it. And then people ask, but where does God come from? Mm. God does not have a beginning nor end, so he doesn't need a cause. Okay, wonderful. Well, just on that note, we're just going to quickly share our contact details. And uh, once we finish with the contact details, we will share some more information and how people can find out more about this if they want to. And we'll be right back after this message. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on By the Word of Their Testimony. If you would like more information about today's program, Or if you have any questions, please contact 3ABN Australia Radio by phoning 0249733456 or you can send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also contact us on our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page. We look forward to hearing from you. Dear listener, welcome back. Now, if you need any of the information we're going to share with you now, the details, if you want to find out more about this or look to find the book, uh, you're welcome to contact us on those details. But my special guest here on By the Word of Their Testimony is Nicolene Fulmalter. 
And she's just been talking to us about creation and evolution and what true and genuine science is and also the laws in science that are actually contradicted by the theory of evolution. Now, if people want to know more information, where do they go, Nicolene? All right. I think the first uh, uh, important resource we need to give is uh, M Sky Media. Okay. We, they will also be making available a DVD series that we will be recording. Fantastic. So you can contact them via their Facebook page, M for Mama, M Sky Media. Okay. And then further information on my book and how to contact us, my website address is www.creation-skepping. That is S K. E, P for Papa, another P, I N G, dot C O dot Z A. Now, skipping is the Afrikaans word, word for, for creation. creation. Yes. <laughs> and then um, on Facebook, you can also find us uh, under the group uh, Creation forward slash Skipping S K E P P I N G. And then I also have a Facebook page, which is just the title of the book, Creation by God okay. or Evolution from Nothing. Right. So you're most welcome to contact us through any of those methods. Great. And we'll make sure we make that available on our Facebook page as well. That's 3AB in Australia Radio. So thank you very much to my guest. I am very pleased you came in. You shared your testimony, but you also shared some of the information that's available in this wonderful book. I've looked through it. It seems to be easy to read, easy to follow. And you can even use it as a reference book if you want to quickly say, what was that again? You can go into the front and the contents and you can find out uh, the, the, the subject you want to have a look at and Quick and easily you can find it So uh, it's a book that you won't read once I think it's a book you'll read a number of times So Nicolene, thank you very much for coming in And sharing with us today It's been a pleasure having you in the studio And we pray that God will bless you And keep you safe as you travel with your husband Around Australia and in New Zealand as well Thank you so much Etienne It was a pleasure being here Wonderful, thank you for coming And dear listener, we thank you for joining us today as well We pray that God will bless you Until we meet next time You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.